the less roles you can assign to defenders in key areas, the less likely you are to be overloaded. This is what Cam Megan recently wrote in an article talking about defending half spaces. And I had the great pleasure of chatting with him for this podcast uh, earlier this week. And it's a pretty short, uh, very digestible interview. I think if you're interested in some of these more uh, theoretical concepts around football tactics, um, you'll, you'll certainly get some use value out of this. Uh, but it doesn't just touch upon these half-space uh, theory-type topics. Uh, we even touched upon the relationship between NBA basketball and European football in, in the way that teams set out to create space, um, the difference between the men's and the women's game. So I think you all will find it quite interesting. This is the debut podcast of the Crossbar Post. I suppose I'll call it the Crossbar Podcast. Um, but if you have any better ideas, feel free to let me know on my blog's Twitter. That's at the Crossbar Post. You can also find our website at crossbarpost.nl and enjoy the show. Don't you think we're done? Thanks so much, Cam, for, for joining me. So I guess just going right into, into the first question here, um, and, and honestly, like, feel free to, uh, to take this wherever you want. So um, I, I was recently reading one of your pieces, um, I think it was earlier this year, maybe later uh, in 2020, called Defending the Half Spaces, which I thought was really interesting. And I'll just read a, a quote from it, where you theorize that uh, the less roles that you can assign to defenders in key areas, the less likely you are to be overloaded. Um, can you maybe explain which players you've identified here as defenders? As I know, we, of course, have a conception of what a defender is, but when a team is in the defensive phase, that could really mean anyone. Um, and then maybe as a second part of the question, if you could perhaps explain how coaches could set out to limit the roles of these defenders? Yes, so um, I suppose what I mean by it, I mean, everybody's more or less a defender out of possession for me. Um, if we're looking at as the piece was defend the half space, I think it's probably focused more on the central midfielders as the defender of that kind of area. Um, so when we talk about limiting, limiting roles and limiting decision-making, we're looking at can I assign this this player so the central midfielder? Let's let's um, make it up as a as a four four two for example. Um, if I'm talking about a centre mid defending the half space, I want as little kind of decision making in his role as possible. So within that, for him to not make as many decisions, somebody else is pretty much going to make some decisions and perform more roles. So. For that central midfielder, if I want maximum coverage of the half space, I want him to be focused on that as much as possible. So, for example, again, in a 4-4-2, a striker might have to back press a lot or use his cover shadow to cover a central midfielder. Um, and by doing that, 
it kind of takes the responsibility of that central midfielder um, away. So he can focus just basically more on the half space. So it's just about the less decisions you've got to make, the less chances you are of kind of being overloaded um, decisionally, I'd call it. So in a lot of pieces by a lot of people who write about tactical analysis, you'll see um, there's a lot of stuff about um, decisional overloads and players kind of getting defenders getting stuck between do I go forward, back, left or right. Um, so if you can narrow their role down to maybe one or two things um, and make it kind of as clear and simple as possible as a coach, then you can make it a lot easier for that player. Yeah, no, that, that's really interesting. As you were talking, I was, uh, I almost feel obliged to bring up Messi at this point, um, <laughs> given the, um, the fact that it was just announced that he's uh, I, more than likely leaving uh, Barcelona this season, unless it was some sort of, you know, political uh, maneuver by Barcelona. But in the context of talking about what you just mentioned uh, from a defensive uh, perspective in the half space, if we flip the script and look at it from the perspective of, let's say, a Manchester City or a PSG or, or some name name a team that could potentially uh, have Messi on their on their eleven next season. One thing that has interested me is how he Messi has kind of always been this character that. Uh, at least when Pep was managing Barcelona back in the day, he was that false nine role where he's in the center. And of course, the theory goes when you have a player like him in the center as a striker, he drops deep. That then forces the central defender to make some sort of commitment, whether that's going out or staying back. And the thinking goes that, uh, of course, this creates more space for other teammates. When we look at his role in recent years, it's almost as if he's been, uh, of course, he doesn't really change his play style too much. He's very um, free flowing, very open, always looking to cut in uh, towards the center of the pitch, but he's been more out on the right flank in recent years for Barcelona. So I guess my question, uh, my long winded question <laughs> would be, do you think it's beneficial for a player like Messi um, to stay in that role out on the flank, specifically thinking about the half spaces where perhaps he's able to uh, stay wide and then drop deeper into the half space to do something special with the ball? Or do you think it makes sense for that, uh, I I'd say that, that key attacking player who's going to be dropping deep and being that main creative force to stay more centrally, if that makes sense? Yeah, so I think a lot of it depends on maybe the coach and his kind of structure that he wants to play. Um, so say a few examples, for example, um, Spain at the Euros. Um, for, the, for the most part, for most of the games, both their wingers stayed wide um, and so did the fullbacks. So it then became the central midfielder's job to go into the half space. Um, and there's kind of advantages and disadvantages to, to kind of all the structures. So Liverpool, for example, um, fullbacks really high, and then the two inside forwards, Salah and Mane, both go into the half spaces usually. Um, and it kind of depends on the characteristics you want. So for me, Messi, you want him as central as, as he can be. Um, I think wide players, particularly when you use that 
kind of double width structure, as I call it. So two players providing width and structure. Um, they're almost pinning players. Um, so you can create space for, say, a Pedri for Spain. Um, so for me, I wouldn't want Messi as a pinning player. <laughs> you obviously want him on the ball as much as possible. Um, so kind of the freer role you can give him where you can kind of just find that space that has made the most sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree that. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, cool. So I guess, you know, shifting gears, of course you, um, you've written a lot of different articles. I just mentioned one about half spaces, which is of course a discussion about open play, but, uh, really what your, your specialty has become, I guess I could say is, is more in the, in the set pieces. So, um, I guess shifting gears to to potentially a couple of questions about that. Um, and I was kind of thinking about how for many fans like myself and potentially even some top level coaches, um, these set piece moments, whether they're free kicks, corners, et cetera, um, sometimes they can be seen as maybe less spectacular than the open play goals, the, yeah. the brilliant runs, the great, um, passes and long shots but what would you say to someone who who comes at you with that I don't even know if you would call that a much of a valid criticism but um but but a criticism nonetheless that that maybe set pieces um whereas maybe they're undervalued in some respects they're not as uh there's not as much flair there's not as much excitement that that comes around the set pieces yes so Probably the most obvious thing is about 25% of goals worldwide come from set pieces, roughly. And the average is around 25% in each league. Um, so first of all, that tells you just how important they are and that you can't just ignore them. Um, second of all, probably looking at aesthetics more than anything. So um, I think I think one of the really good things about football is that you've got set pieces in it. In that if you look at other sports, so um, American football, for example, pretty much all set pieces, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Um, basketball is kind of a weird hybrid of them both because there's lots of plays in it, but there's also kind of lots of open play. Um, and then football, pretty much nearly all open play, really dynamic, really um, kind of open. Um, and then you've got set pieces, which are a closed skill and it's kind of routine and all worked out beforehand near enough. So I think it's really just really good that there's a mix of that in the sport. I think it just makes it really interesting that there's two almost different skill sets within it. Um, so that's what I'd say to people who kind of don't like set pieces because of the aesthetics. Hmm. Yeah. And I honestly, I think that sentiment is hopefully shifting away <laughs> in recent years. And I think a lot of the, the you mentioned a lot of analysis writing, um, in one of your last answers, I think a lot of what you do and um, what a couple of other people I know who specifically focus on corner routine set pieces, um, I think a lot of that work is hopefully shifting the conversation towards um, perhaps more of an appreciation of, of the set pieces, if you can call it that. So, um, so yeah, that's great. Um, I, I guess maybe we might have time for one more question after this, but um Continuing on the set piece discussion, uh, I'm an Ajax supporter. So, of course, when when I think about um, when I think about teams, I, I love the way that they build up. I love the I don't need to tell you about, you know, the, the total football 
um, style of play and all of the different uh, theories that go along with that. But for teams like Ajax and like Barcelona, who, uh, who, who really emphasize that possession play, uh, uh, perhaps uh, over the ha- having a, a tall physical uh, presence in the center of midfield or, or in, in defense, how would you suggest that they go about procuring more effective set pieces, whether that's corners, free kicks? Um, maybe you could, could talk about short corners, for example. But yeah, I'd love to just get your thoughts on, like, let's say if, if uh, Pep hired you for uh, for one of cities uh, as one of city set piece analysis uh, analysts, how would you go about um, strategizing for that? Yeah, well, uh, well, Guardiola, for example, has had set piece coaches at most of the clubs he's worked at. I think City have had one since he joined. Um, Nicholas Yove has just gone to Arsenal, I think, from Manchester City. Um, so it is something that Guardiola has kind of looked at and focused on a little bit. His teams have always been pretty good at set pieces. Um, and for possession-based teams, it, it can be quite important. So if I look at Liverpool this past year, um, we've kind of fallen into being a possession team now just because of how teams approach them. Um, weren't particularly good at set pieces this year. So we saw in lots of games when it was maybe 1-1 and they got loads of corners just because they had so much possession of the ball and so much possession in the final third. When it got to corners and free kicks, they weren't getting anything from them because they didn't look kind of routine or organised. Um, so if you're getting 10 corners a game and you're not really focusing on it or not coming up with any um, kind of principles or routines around it, you're just kind of wasting so many opportunities there. Um, and then we saw they weren't picking up results against kind of those lower league teams. Um, so again, if we're looking at, I think maybe the thing most people would say maybe with Ajax, Barcelona is the players are too small. Um, but for me, if you're looking at kind of trying to create a free player, which is what you do in open play and what you do in set pieces as well, it doesn't really matter how tall you are if you're attacking the ball on your home. Um, height obviously matters. Um, when you're attacking kind of contested um, and defensively height is a big factor as well Um, but for example I work in the women's game and our top goal scorer from set pieces is five foot two I think Hmm. um, which tells you all you need to know really Um, so yeah I think height is a factor but it's not kind of something that has to decide everything Um, and for example some teams like maybe Harry Maguire if you look at Man United some teams use their tallest player as, as a decoy almost. So you let kind of maybe the opposition's best marker go on to Maguire and then you use maybe a smaller player. Um, so it's not all about height or anything like that, but design routines that create kind of open open shots, if you, if you like. Yeah, totally. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned briefly the women's game because that's actually uh, something that I, I'd like to touch upon since we do have a little bit of time here. Um, I, I mentioned earlier, uh, I think before I started recording, that uh, I love your comparison of basketball and football. And of course, there aren't uh, one-to-one comparisons between the two sports. They're very different, very different size um, playing fields, very different, of course, mechanisms that you use to uh, progress the ball, among other things. But 
one one thing that it made me think of was how in basketball the men's and the women's game while n- undoubtedly they have similarities they're very different my dad would always tell me you know the the men's game is great it's it's very physical in the nba there's a lot going on it's very exciting but really the women's game is where you can drill down into the fundamentals it's all about uh the, the form of passes uh great shooting um a lot of team play that perhaps you don't necessarily see in in the bigger men's leagues so i guess transitioning that conversation into football um since you watch a lot of women's football for your job and and of course um as most listeners to the podcast will will um listen to or, or excuse me uh, watch the men's game um could you maybe talk about what you see as some of those similarities between the men's and the women's game and then um if you'd like maybe going into some of the differences as well yeah um well for me there's not really that much difference between the two it's it's just the exact same game exactly the same rules you score goals the exact same way um you see kind of everything the pitch is the exact same it's, it's the same sport, it's just a different gender playing it for me, basically. So set pieces, for example, people might think um, obviously smaller players, not as physical, um, but hasn't really had an impact. Um, the way you score from a set piece in the men's game is exactly the same you score in the women's game. So if I'm playing against, say, a four, a four players own system, the way you score against that doesn't change just because the gender is the there's the players. So yeah, for me, there's not really much difference at all. Awesome. Yeah, th- that's great. Thank you so much, Cam. Um, yeah, I think that's it. We're right at about 20 minutes. So perfect, uh, short and sweet. So um, I guess just to finish it off, if you want to let people know uh, where, where they can find your work, where they can find you on uh, on social media, whatever you, uh, you want to plug. Yeah, so I think I'm at Cam underscore Megan on Twitter. Um, and then if you just go on my Twitter page, you'll find everything. So my TFA writing um, and my wake ups on there as well, which has, I think, all of my work up to date now. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, thanks so much, Cam, again, for taking the time to chat with me um, on a Friday. Uh, cool. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, hopefully yep. we'll, uh, we'll chat soon. I'll be in touch. Cheers. Have a good one. Don't you think we're done?